Thank you so much for being a listener of the Deep Believer Show. We love our listeners, we pray for our listeners, and we love to hear from our listeners. So if you have anything you'd like to say, if you have any testimonies, or if you have any questions, leave us a voice message. We'd love to hear from you. Again, we would love to hear from you. Thank you so much for being a listener of The Deep Believer Show. Hi, everyone. This is Jennifer Bagnashi with Deep Believer. Today, we have an ex-Mormon with us. His name is Micah Wilder. At the age of 19, he was missioned to the Bible Belt of the United States. When he got there in Florida, he tried to convert a Baptist pastor, but this Baptist pastor, he wasn't having it. And guess what happened? Micah ended up giving his life to Jesus Christ. And he was considered a good Mormon. He was that good. So Micah, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Jennifer. So Micah, tell us, what was it like growing up in a Mormon household? Yeah, so I, I had an incredible family uh, life growing up. My parents were, were loving, um, and they really instilled in my siblings and I uh, a zeal for God. Uh, we were very active in our church duties. We went to church every Sunday, youth group every Wednesday. Uh, we read uh, the Mormon scriptures every every day together. We prayed every day together, and, and our faith was was central to to our identity and to our lives and to our family. Um, and so I, I learned at a young age to really love Mormonism, to love going to church, to love praying and doing all those things that became, you know, an, an important part of my, my religious life growing up. Um, and it also helped me develop a, a desire to have a relationship with God. But unfortunately, the only way that I knew to have a relationship with God was through the lens of my religion and through Mormonism. And so it kind of misconstrued um, truth to me because all the truth that I knew and had growing up was all given to me by my parents and my my religious leaders. What is Mormonism? Because a lot of people hear Mormonism. As a matter of fact, my family just moved from New England. In New England, when people knocked on our doors, it was just Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah. Well, when we moved to Colorado, it was completely different since Utah's right next to it. We have Mormons now knocking on our doors. We know what Jehovah's Witnesses believes, as my family does, but what is Mormonism? What do Mormons believe? Do they believe Mormonism is a form of Christianity? And what do Mormons think about the Bible? Yeah, so Mormonism is a, is a very unique religion. Uh, it, it claims to be a part of Christianity. In fact, it claims to be uh, the pinnacle of Christianity, that it is actually the true uh, church and organization that Jesus himself established during his earthly ministry. And so if you ask a Mormon if they're Christians, they would say that they're actually the, the true Christians. Um, but, but there's some problems with their doctrines that I, I believe remove them from Orthodox Christianity. Um, so the premise of Mormonism is that it is a restoration of the church that Jesus established. So Jesus established a physical organization during his earthly ministry uh, and endowed that organization with a special authority, which they call the priesthood. And they believe that after the apostles were killed, that that authority and the truth of the gospel was lost from the earth, that it wasn't sustained, it wasn't kept, that God's word was distorted. Um, and because of that, that truth that Jesus originally established needed to be brought back to the earth. And so in the 1800s, the founder of Mormonism, Joseph Smith, claimed that God and Jesus physically appeared to him uh, and that they called him basically as a prophet with the same prophetic authority as the prophets in the Old Testament, and that he was then called to restore this one true church. And so they claim an, an exclusivity that they are the only way to eternal life in the presence of God, that a person cannot fully attain uh, that righteousness and that you know right standing with God outside of the laws and the ordinances and the works of Mormonism. And so I think the best way to summarize uh, Mormonism is that it is a works-based righteousness. So uh, growing up, I was never taught 
that we were saved by grace through faith. I, I was taught that God's grace is given through Jesus and that his death on the cross was necessary for my sins, but that wasn't all that was necessary, that I then had to contribute to what Christ did on my behalf in order to qualify for salvation. And within that, there's a very lengthy process that an individual must do within the realm of Mormonism in order to be worthy of eternal life. You have to be baptized by water by somebody of the proper authority. You have to join the Mormon church. You have to be active in your church duties. You then have to pay tithing. You have to live certain moral codes, certain dietary codes. You have to go to the Mormon temple and perform physical ordinances. You have to get married. And there's kind of this, this long laundry list that a person has to do uh, throughout their entire life in order to qualify for salvation. And so it, it was a distorted version of the gospel, because if you talk to a Mormon person, they will say, well, yeah, we believe in Jesus. We believe in the Bible. We believe that Jesus died for our sins, that he rose on the third day. And so uh, a lot of people talk to Mormons and they think, well, they're Christians too, based on these surface level conversations, not realizing that there's a lot of depth to their doctrine that removes them from the truth that is revealed in the word of God. And so as a Mormon missionary, uh, I would go out and our objective was to convert people to Mormonism, to convince already, you know, good standing Christians that they needed a truth that only we could offer them and that their salvation could only come in full measure through the message and the authority of Mormonism. And so um, in that way, it's similar to the Jehovah's Witnesses, as you mentioned, and that the Job's, Jehovah's Witnesses claim exclusivity, that their organization, their church is the one true church and the one way for people to truly have right standing, you know, with Jehovah God. And so for us, that was our claim as well, is that Mormonism was the truth. And within that truth, a person could be saved and have eternal life. And so I, I believed it wholeheartedly because that's all that I knew growing up. You know, I didn't have a reason to investigate truth outside of my religion um, because I believed it with all my heart and I wanted to live it out. And I wanted to show God by my actions and by my behavior and by my obedience that I was good enough to have his love and his favor and his forgiveness, but always not knowing if I had fully attained those things. And so for me, it was like, I was always uncertain as to whether or not I had been good enough for God, but I was striving with all my heart to show him that, that I deserved the love that I so desperately wanted. So even from a young age, you still had that hunger to be close to God. Now, do Mormons believe that Jesus is God? Yeah, good question. So the Mormons have a very unique view of the nature of God himself. So if we start with God, the father, um, Mormons actually do not believe that God the Father is eternally and was eternally God from everlasting to everlasting. Within Mormon doctrine, uh, God himself actually attained Godhood and that he once was a man living on a planet just like you and me, and that through obedience to these eternal principles of Mormonism, he actually progressed to become God. And so within that, they actually believe that all of humanity, at least the men, uh, have the potential themselves to become gods. And so in Mormon theology, um, basically people are gods in embryo, and it's an eternal process in where I myself, if I had stayed faithful and true to my covenants of Mormonism, uh, would have one day become a god who would have been, you know, creator of my own world and all these other things. And so obviously right there, we have a very different God. It is not the God revealed in scripture. Um, we know that there is only one God and that one God was from everlasting to everlasting, that he is not created, that he is not evolved, that, that he has been and will be forever. And so within that, they believe that Jesus himself is a created being, that he was actually created by God the Father. So Jesus is not an eternal being in, in theology of Mormonism, and that Jesus himself, in, in a similar way, progressed to become glorified through his obedience to the Father during his earthly ministry, and through his death on the cross and his resurrection, and that qualified him for eternal life. Um, but they do not believe that Jesus is God in the same way that you and I would understand the eternal nature of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, um, they do not believe that Jesus is subservient to the Father. He's the Son of God. And then even the Holy Spirit is then separate from, from that. And so uh, it's a very unorthodox view, and it, it certainly diminishes God. 
um, that, that he is some, you know, former man that, that became God through being good enough. And, and we know that, you know, God is uh, omnipotent and omnipresent and all powerful and, 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 and that he is the great creator of all things by the very word of his mouth. And so the God of Mormonism is, is, is in stark contrast to the God revealed in, in the word uh, in the Bible. Amen. Amen. So you told me that you were considered a good Mormon, or that was the goal to become a good Mormon. What's a good Mormon? What's considered a good Mormon? <laughs> well, for me, it was it was somebody who made a concerted effort to live out my faith in my daily life. And so it wasn't just something that I claimed. And, and you and I know this about Christians, right? There's a lot of people that, that they say they're Christian, they go to church on a Sunday morning, but but Christ is not the foundation of their life. And so for me as a Mormon, um, I spent my high school years in the state of Utah, right? Just next door to where you're located. And, and 90 plus percent of my high school population was Mormon. And so there were a lot of people that culturally claimed this religion, but there were not a lot of people who truly lived it out. And so for me, it wasn't just something that I said, I believed it was something that I actually believed and I lived it out. And so I would follow the, law, the, the, the laws and the commandments and I would perform the ordinances and I was faithful in my church duties. And, 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 I, and I strove to have a personal relationship with God and to pray and read the scriptures and do all these things. Um, and, and it was very genuine and sincere for me. And so by those standards, um, I was well respected amongst my peers and certainly by my parents and my church leaders for my zeal for God. And, and I compare that to like the zeal of Saul of Tarsus, uh, where even in his persecution of the Christians, he was doing that believing that he was serving God um, in, in doing so. And so although his zeal was an ignorance, just like he spoke of the Jews in Romans 10, that was kind of me as a Mormon, um, that I had a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And of course, we know that knowledge is that the righteousness of God is revealed in Christ, not in the, the actions and the merits of, of, of our human self. Okay, so at what age did or what age do Mormons uh, go out and start, what do you call it? Do you call it discipling, witnessing? What do you, what do you call that? Call it a mission. Okay. Yeah. Mission. Would call it. yeah. So, okay. so it's this two-year commitment um, at which uh, I, the young Mormon men and women uh, go out and, and, and commit two years of their lives to being missionaries for the church, to representing the church, and to making converts. And so this takes place after uh, high school. Uh, when I went on my mission in 2004, you had to be 19 years of age. They have since changed that to now you can be 18, uh, which, which means that kids are graduating high school and then going off um, and serving a two-year mission. And I think a lot of the reason why they changed that is because in that year of graduating high school and turning 19, a lot of people were drifting from the faith as they went to college or, you know, experienced life outside the home. And, and honestly, we see that very much in the, in the Christian faith as well, um, where that time where kids are going to college is a time when, when a lot of them are, are uh, deconstructing and, and, and losing their faith in the things that they were taught in the home. And so, um, for me, I went at 19. I uh, graduated high school, did a semester at BYU, and, and, and spiritually, mentally, and physically prepared myself to, to go be uh, a missionary for two years. When Mormons go out on their missions, are they easy to convert if they were to approach another Christian and the Christian basically tacks back at them? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think Mormons are, are could probably be compared, if you're just talking statistically as a people group, it would be very similar to, say, witnessing to a Jehovah's Witness. Um, you're dealing with a person who is very, very, very deeply entrenched in their religious beliefs. And, and, and the things that they've been taught have been, been culturally embedded into them. And so uh, in my experience, no, Mormons are not somebody who are going to be, quote unquote, easily converted. Um, and, and I guess just demographically could be labeled as a as a difficult to reach people group. And I think that's often what discourages Christians uh, from witnessing to Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses, because uh, I, I think um, people make the assumption that they can't be converted or they can't change. Um, so, um yeah, it's, it, is, it is difficult, I think, because the level of commitment that most Mormons have to their faith and because of the, the testimony, the quote-unquote testimony that they have, which they believe is a spiritual witness of the truthfulness of what they've been taught, that they hold that dear and they live it out. And, and honestly, I, I respect that. Like, I wish more Christians 
took their faith in the, in the same way that Mormons do, that Jehovah's Witnesses do, that, you know, a lot of Muslims do, that they, they, they really internalized and embedded their faith in Christ into every fabric of, you know, every facet of their life and into the very fabric of their identity. And, and a lot of times we don't, you know, we, we become cultural Christians and, and uh, you know, convenience of, of when we choose to claim that we're Christian and yet we don't want the persecution and we don't want, you know, the, the suffering that comes along with the name of Jesus. And so um, it, it is difficult, but it's not fruitless. I mean, I wouldn't be here having this interview right now if, um, if a Mormon couldn't be saved, because we knew that everybody be, can be saved, because the gospel is the power of God into salvation to everyone who believes. And that includes Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and atheists and Muslims and anybody else. I agree. I completely agree. And I, this brings me back to a conversation we had prior before how we're going to get to your parents, but how your parents were prior Christians before they became Mormon. And what drew them to the Mormon faith wasn't solely the faith, but rather the community that they had. And yeah. I mentioned to you how uh, Christians, we are lacking a little bit in that community where I know in Utah, Mormons really take care of themselves. The community mm -hmm. is very tight. And like you just said, how um, the Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and Muslims, they're really strong in what they believe. So I, I completely agree with you on that one. So the benefits, though, do you get benefits when you were going out to missions? Was yeah. that like documented and all that stuff? Yeah, so there's there's a very stringent process to even go on a mission. Um, they they don't just let anybody go. You have to go through uh, a process of being interviewed by your local Mormon authorities. You have to fill out paperwork that has to be submitted to the hierarchy of the Mormon Church in Salt Lake City, and you basically have to qualify. You have to be worthy. Uh, you have to be living a certain standard of life in order to to even qualify to go out and to be a missionary. But there is an expectation that all young men are supposed to serve a mission. Um, I wouldn't go as far as to say it's a commandment, but it's it's nearly such. I mean, the the expectation of serving a mission is very cultural, and there are cultural implications if you don't. Um, you're very much ostracized within the the culture if you don't serve a mission. Um, the young women, for example, they're taught to marry a return missionary, right? A worthy return missionary. If you haven't served a mission, even your chances of finding a good worthy Mormon girl uh, to marry you becomes diminished because you're seen as somebody who, you know, doesn't take your faith seriously, or for some reason you weren't able to go out and serve a mission. And so it's kind of a, I, I guess the best way to describe it, it's like a cultural rite of passage uh, that kind of gets you into the next level. Um, and even if you want to be a leader in the Mormon church or, or have respect amongst your leaders and kind of climb that hierarchy ladder, uh, you need to serve a mission and you need to be dedicated to your faith. And that's kind of the first major step that a young man needs to take in order to solidify himself within the, the community. Wow. Wow. Now I have a question for you only because you mentioned how Mormon girls are, are directed or ordered to marry a missionary right off the mission field or whatever. Yeah. Like that. Um, what is the purpose? And I'm sure a lot of people have this question. What is the purpose? I know Jesus says to be fruitful and multiply, but what is the purpose of having hundreds of children and <laughs> <laughs> family? Yeah, yeah. No, it's actually a really good question, and 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 it's tied directly into Mormon theology. So we were talking before about how they believe that God was once a man and who progressed to become God. Well, one of their doctrines also is that that we like all human beings existed in a pre-earth life before we came down and basically inhabited a corporeal body so basically we were spiritual beings in a pre-existence um, waiting to receive physical bodies so that we could then do the work that god wanted us to do and so the reason why that's important in, in Mormonism is that as a, as a father, as a mother, and as you're procreating, you believe that you're, you're bringing these spirit children who are waiting in heaven to come to earth, like you're bringing them down uh, and, and giving them the opportunity to be born into a Mormon family and a good family, and then to, you know, so that they can do the necessary works and ordinances to eventually be saved. And so it's actually tied directly into their theology. Um, where there's all these kind of spirit babies that are waiting in heaven right now to to come down to earth um, and to be given a good life within the Mormon church. And so that's why a lot of them um, culturally do have uh, a lot of children um, is, is for that reason. 
I'm so glad you said that because I never knew that was the reason. Yeah. I really thought it was because, you know, how you know everything likes to, every seems like a lot of religions like to take pieces from the Bible. So I just thought it was how Jesus in the Bible says to be fruitful and to multiply. Now, yeah, and, it, and it's also part of the idea that, you know, God, so, so they also believe that God is like our literal father. So we're actually born as children of God, which of course we know is, is completely contradictory to scripture, right? We become children of God. We are given the right to be called children of God through our faith in Christ, as, as, as John says. And so um, they have this idea that like every human being is a literal physical child of God um, that was birthed in a pre- earth life. And then we were brought here for the purpose of learning and growing. And so even that aspect is very different because um, as a Christian, we understand that we were actually God's enemies, right? We were dead in our sins and dead in our trespasses. We did not have right standing with God. We were not automatically children of God um, in the flesh, but we become children of God when we're born again and we're adopted into the household of God. And, and, and it's just such a different view as to how we understand you know mortality in our life and our relationship with god and everything else now all this is based off of joseph smith correct mm -hmm. okay now how did that come about and then we're going to get deep into your story so how did mormonism come about with joseph smith what was his story yeah so so as i mentioned previously um he he claimed that god and jesus appeared to him so he was a 14 year old boy living in upstate new york and he was seeing that all of the churches in his community were divisive, you know, the Methodist church, the Baptist church, Presbyterian church, and that they all taught different things. This was his story. Um, and because of that, he didn't really know what truth was. And so he went into the woods one day and he prayed. And as he prayed, God and Jesus, two separate physical beings appeared to him and told him that all of the churches were an abomination, that all of their creeds were an abomination in his sight. And then they called Joseph Smith to be a prophet of God and to then deliver the word of God to the people to essentially restore lost truth that had been gone for centuries, um, which also shows you what their view of the Bible is, because we've had the Bible for a long time. I mean, we've had certainly the, the um, you know, manuscripts of the New Testament now for, for thousands of years, and, and we've seen the preservation of God's word over the centuries, but they believe that that isn't sufficient. And so Joseph Smith came, claimed to be a prophet, and claimed to bring new scripture and new revelation. And so a lot of these, what many of the listeners and viewers might see as obscure doctrines, which they certainly are, they came from Joseph Smith. And so he brought forth this entirely new religion and then claimed to have this you know, unique authority from God to be able to uh, speak to God and to be God's mouthpiece to mankind. And if you've ever heard of the Book of Mormon, it's a, it's a book of scripture that Joseph Smith brought forth. And they, they believe that that's scripture in addition to the Bible. And in fact, in many ways, they hold it in greater esteem than the Bible. And they believe that there is continuing revelation today. So even though Joseph Smith died, they have had a prophet and, and apostles that continue to give revelation and new scripture and, 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 you know, new truth to the church. And so it's a very, of, of course, we know that that's not, um, that the, the canon of revelation is closed in the sense that the, the, the word of God gives us everything that we need to know to be reconciled to God. Um, that Jesus was the, that was the fullness of time. And he came and he handpicked apostles and he, and he chose them to go out and to deliver the gospel to the nations. And that's what they did. And we have the record of that in the new Testament. And of course we have the record of Paul, the apostle and his epistles to the church. And so the, the, the gospel, it doesn't change and it, it doesn't need to be added to, and it doesn't need to uh, be corrected. There is one gospel that was delivered once for all to the saints. And we have that clearly within the word of God now. And so I think one of the most um, damning things that the Mormon church does is it, it does um, add to the word of God and it, and it claims that the word of God is not complete. Um, and, and then it distorts the gospel in doing so by interjecting, you know, man-made religion into that. And, and, and that's why it, it ends up being so far off the mark. Wow. Now, are Mormons taught to doubt the Bible? In a sense, yes. So we had a, a, a it's called the art, Articles of Faith, and it's essentially like foundational statements of faith in Mormonism. And one of those is we believe the Bible to be the word of God as far as it is translated correctly. And so it has that little caveat on the end. And then the next statement is we believe the Book of Mormon to be the word of God, period. 
And so within the Book of Mormon, it actually claims that there are many plain and precious truths that have been removed from the Bible. So personally growing up, like I loved the Bible, I read the Bible, and I'm not going to you know, say that it wasn't a big part of my faith as a Mormon. However, um, I also did not hold the Bible in the same high esteem that I did the other Mormon scriptures and even the modern day prophets. Like if a prophet came forward and said, this is truth, and that conflicted with what the Bible said, I would, I would adhere to what the prophet said over what the Bible said. And so you're kind of, in, in some sense, you kind of trust it, you know, you take it with a grain of salt where, where you, you can't fully understand if it's been translated correctly and you can't fully understand which parts have been corrupted. And so that's why we would turn to extra biblical scripture to kind of fill in the gaps for us. And so a lot of Mormons, I think, are like that. They, they may read the Bible or parts of the Bible, but generally don't read it um, in its totality. And they certainly do not trust it on the same plane as they would other Mormon scriptures. Mm-hmm. Now, just now you mentioned about prophets. By the time you were 19, a Mormon prophet gave you your assignment. Really mm-hmm. quickly, though, what is considered a Mormon prophet? Yeah. So they believe that the prophet or the president of the Mormon church, so basically he is at the, the upper echelon of the ladder of authority. Um, they believe that he is no different than the prophets of the Old Testament. So Ezekiel and Isaiah and, uh, you know, and Abraham and Jeremiah and all these prophets that God used, right, as mediators that he would speak through to deliver his word and his will, right, to his people and in the Old Testament to the Israelites. And so they believe that the prophet of the Mormon church is equivalent to that, that he is God's chosen vessel, his oracle uh, to speak his word, his will, his truth to mankind. And so they believe that he holds that same authority. Um, and that his word delivered in an official capacity is scripture and is the word of God. Okay, so you got your papers to go on emissions. This mm-hmm. is common amongst uh, boys when they graduate. Where do they send you? So I was sent to Orlando, Florida. The Bible Belt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, what, were, what was in your mind? Did you know that was the Bible Belt at the time or no? Um, no, I, I, I was pretty ignorant, I think, as to what to expect about being there. Um, I, I just, I was so gung-ho that it didn't really matter to me. I just wanted to go out and I was, I was ready to convert everybody in the world. So uh, I, I was super zealous. I was super excited. And uh, I, I didn't really know what to expect as far as, you know, what the pushback would be from, uh, you know, people of other religions and other faiths. And, and so it was certainly a wake-up call for me. Um, because Orlando is not, I mean, it certainly is part of the Bible Belt, and there's a lot of Christians here, but there's also, it, it's just a melting pot of people from all over the world uh, in different cultures and communities. And so it was, uh, it, it was a rude awakening when I got here. And I remember the very first day getting on my bicycle with my Mormon companion, and we, we drove or we rode to a neighborhood, got off the bike, started knocking, and the first 10 doors just slammed in my face one after another. And then I realized, this is going to be kind of tough. <laughs> uh, and, and the way that people were responding to us very quickly made me realize that it wasn't going to be uh, an easy experience. And so that was kind of a, a wake up call for me. So were you even able to convert anyone in between that time and you meeting up with a Baptist pastor? Yeah. So I, I met, so I met the Baptist pastor just a few months into my mission and, and I did, I did find some, some success, but, but it was, um, it was hard to find. Uh, I would say, you know, if we went out on an afternoon and knocked on a hundred doors, um, there's maybe one that we would get in. Maybe one person would let us in. And even that one person, the odds that they were really interested or would end up being baptized, you know, were one in a hundred, you know, so it, it was very few people um, that we really were able to engage with uh, on a spiritual level. And so that was something that we had to become accustomed to as missionaries was just getting used to rejection uh, and, and, and being okay with that because it is, it is, it it can be disheartening after a while, uh, to, to talk to people when so few people want to engage with you. And and a lot of people were just plain mean, you know, it wasn't just that they didn't want to hear our message. They were just very rude and unkind. And and you had to, uh, I guess, become accustomed to that and, and, and just be able to move past it. So I take it, it was easier for you guys in Utah. Was it easier to convert people in Utah rather than out East? 
Um, you know, that's a good question. I don't know, because, you know, at least where I lived in Utah, everybody was already Mormon. <laughs> so we weren't really converting anybody. The community I lived in was about 98 to 99% uh, was Mormon, you know, so it, it was just, it was everybody that I knew was already part of the, the faith. So um, yeah, so going to Florida or other areas in the East that are more what they call the mission field, right, where less than 1% of the population is Mormon, it, it was definitely, a, definitely a challenge. Okay, so Micah, tell us about the day when you met this Baptist pastor that I keep talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So um, my Mormon mission companion and I had the audacity to believe that we would go to a Baptist church and convert the pastor. And, uh, and I say that jokingly, but we were very sincere in our, in our hopes um, because we believed that we had a message that, that he did not have. Um, and, and that's one thing that I, I hope people take away after listening to this interview is Mormons are very sincere in their faith. Um, they're very dedicated to their faith and, and, and they're very convinced that what they believe is true. And, and that's the reason why I went to a Baptist church was because I thought, well, I have something that they don't have. And actually as a Christian, like that should be our mentality all the time, right? I, we have the greatest message in the world. We have the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the only way that people can be saved and, and reconciled to God eternally. Like, I want everybody to know that, right? Um, and so that was my heart as a missionary. We went to this church, met this pastor, um, and had the opportunity to sit down with them and, and have a friendly, uh, at least initially, a friendly back and forth. And one of the things that I always want to um, emphasize when I'm talking about my experience with this pastor was um, his approach to us was was so loving, and it was so kind, and it was so gentle, and, uh, and it was so compassionate and he, he wasn't mean and he didn't slam the door in our face and he didn't tell us we were going to hell. And he, he, he just, he really embraced us um, with the purpose of sharing the gospel with us. And, and I think that that is an important thing to remember because I think often my experience with Christians as a Mormon missionary was overwhelmingly negative. Um, most Christians were, were very unkind to us, not just like, hey, we're not interested in your message, but hey, you're in a cult and you're going to hell and get away. We don't want to talk to you. And, you know, they, they wouldn't display to us the love of Christ um, in a way that we should represent as Christians. And so I think that was one thing that really impacted me about this pastor was, although we ultimately, you know, vehemently disagreed with one another uh, doctrinally, I, I can never say that, that he didn't treat us with the utmost respect and with kindness. And I think that a lot of times we think that treating somebody nice doesn't mean that you have to admit truth. And just because you're being truthful doesn't mean that you can't do it in kindness, right? They're, they're not mutually exclusive. And uh, even Paul said to correct your opponents with gentleness. So even when we're correcting somebody, uh, we can do that gently and we can do it lovingly and respectfully. And, um, and, and so when, when I had this opportunity to sit down with him and, and share our belief system uh, with him, he responded to us, by very lovingly, but very pointedly sharing the gospel message with us. So um, I, I can be gentle and loving and compassionate without compromising truth, right? And, and that's, that's something that we should all understand as Christians. Um, truth is going to offend, but I don't have to be offensive in the way that I present it. And there's a big difference. And so I sat there and, and this pastor just started to lay out the gospel for me, um, but it was the biblical gospel, a gospel that was in complete contradiction to what I was going about teaching as a young Mormon missionary. And the message was simply that Jesus paid in full measure on the cross of Calvary through his shed blood, the payment for my sins, and that my right standing with God was not contingent upon my righteousness and my goodness and my works and my merits and my ability to follow a system of laws and ordinances. My reconciliation to God is through faith in the finished work of Christ, period, end of story. That Jesus accomplished everything necessary in order to save me through his death, burial, and resurrection. And therefore, my salvation is, is rooted in what Jesus did for me, not in what I'm doing for him. And I remember he shared Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so this whole message, you know, being revealed to me that I was a sinner, that I was dead in my sins, that I had no hope and that my religion could never save me and all these good works that I was doing in Mormonism could never save me. 
And, and yet Jesus in love that he was offered as the sacrificial lamb to pay that penalty for me, to, to step in my place as my substitute and to do for me what I would never be able to do for myself. And that that was the measure of God's love given to me is that he sent Jesus Christ to die for my sins. And that I either trusted in Christ's work and had faith in what he did for me, or I continued to believe that I could add to that and contribute to that. But we know that no one is justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And so when he shared that message with me, um, I was very convicted by it. And, and probably, you know, you have experiences where you've shared the gospel, maybe with a Jehovah's Witness or, or when you lived in the East or others, and, and you just share the simple, beautiful, amazing gospel. And for some reason, it upsets them, it offends them, it, it, it convicts them, it pierces them. And, uh, and I think about Hebrews 4.12 that says that the word of God is it's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And so I, I felt the conviction of the gospel message. And we know that the role of the Holy Spirit is to, to convict the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment. And it's like God was, you know, convicting me of that reality. Um, and, and I didn't want to hear it. And I became very defensive and I became very angry and, and I began to lash back at this pastor um, and, and he never responded to me with anything other than love. He was firm uh, in his conviction and his presentation of the gospel, the word of God. Um, but I was so angry at him and I felt like he had done me this grave injustice because I knew that the message that he was communicating to me meant that I was wrong. Uh, it meant that the message that I was teaching as a Mormon was not true. And, and I did not want to accept that reality. And so, um, Really, things did not end on very good terms with he and I, but but he did give me a, a challenge as I was heading out the door, and that challenge was to to go to the Word of God myself, um, to to go to Scripture, and in particular, go to the New Testament and just just read it like a child, like put away my my religious preconceived notions and allow God's Word uh, to to speak to me and to show me truth. And that if I could do that and just objectively approach the word of God, that I would see the gospel for the first time in my life. And of course, this challenge just made me more upset. Um, but it did, you know, but that whole experience was a catalyst that, that ultimately changed the, the trajectory of my life. Okay, so was it there in Florida that you actually took him up on his offer and read the Bible as a child for yourself? Yes. So I had about 20 months left of my two-year commitment at that point. And I, I did. I, I internalized this pastor's challenge. Um, but I have to be honest, my, my original intent of reading the Bible was I believed that that was going to prove Mormonism true. And I thought, well, even though the Bible has these issues, I thought, well, if I'm going to be combating with, you know, Baptists and, and evangelicals for the rest of my two-year mission, I want to read the Bible so that basically I can use that against them. Um, but God used it against me <laughs> um, because there, there is an intrinsic power in the word of God. And, and, and one thing that I, I, I love to say, it's like, because often we'll say, well, what's the point of challenging a Mormon to read the Bible if they don't really believe it or, or an atheist or Muslim or whatever? Like, what's the point of them reading the Bible if they don't really accept it as the word of God? And say, well, what somebody believes about the Bible doesn't change what it is. And it doesn't change the power that is contained within the word of God. And so faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And so I started reading the Bible, not expecting that it was going to teach me anything that I did not already know. Like I thought, well, I'm just going to read the Bible. It's going to prove to me that Mormonism is true. And then I'm going to go back out and I'm going to be able to use the Bible against pastor, you know, this pastor and the other people that, that I was going to encounter. And of course, um, long story short, God used the power of his word to, to transform my heart and my mind. And, and he used the power of his word to begin to open my eyes to the simple and glorious gospel of the grace of God. And, and it wasn't something that happened immediately, and it wasn't something that happened uh, kind of in one epiphanous moment. It was a very long and, and, and tumultuous process within myself internally. Um, where I ended up reading the New Testament 12 times from beginning to end in those 20 months um, to where my eyes were finally fully open to the truth, to the word of God. And Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. 
And I didn't even recognize that I was in bondage until I started to read the word of God. And still I recognized that I was held captive by a, a false system of laws and works that could never save me. And that I was, I was dead in my sins and dead in my trespasses and that I had no hope outside of what Christ did for me. And, and my choice was simple, and that was either trust Christ or don't, but there's no middle ground. There's no Jesus plus, which is what my whole life was. That is where a lot of quote unquote religious people are. It's Jesus plus, you know, my works, Jesus plus these ordinances, Jesus plus, you know, my church attendance, I mean, whatever. Um, and, and Jesus is not part of, of the equation. Jesus is the solution. Um, and, and he was the promised Mashiach of God, the lamb who had come to take away the sin of the world. So God had to, he, he really had to break me. He had to humble me and, and he had to strip my, my self-righteousness away so that he could clothe me with his righteousness. Um, and, and, and show me that like, even by Mormon standard, even though I was the best of the best, that I was still a filthy wretch. Um, who could only be cleansed by the blood of Christ. And that all these things that I thought I was doing to earn God's love, God didn't love me because of those things. In fact, God loved me in spite of those things. You know, God doesn't love us because we're good. He loves us because he is good. And, and in that goodness sent Jesus to die for our sins. And so I just had to come to this point of total and complete brokenness and, and humility and, and just, just falling to, you know, my, my figurative knees before the throne of God and recognizing that, um, God saved me. Like I, I saw how horrible of a person I was. And I know that sounds weird because by earthly standards, I was such a good guy. I was so nice and so wonderful. And I followed all the laws and, and just did everything that, that, you know, I was just the pinnacle of what you could be um, from a, from a standard of, you know, religious righteousness. And yet I, I recognized the depth of sin within my heart and, and, and that I could never cleanse myself of that guilty conscience. Um, and no amount of works and ordinances could do that. Only the blood of Christ could. And so by God's grace and by, by his love and his mercy, he, he, he revealed to me the, the, the fullness of the gospel, the, the simple, beautiful good news of what Jesus Christ had done for me. And I turned and I faced Christ and I trusted in him for the first time in my life, um, not as part of what I needed to be saved of my salvation itself. And so by the time that this had all taken place, I had about three weeks left of my two-year commitment and, uh, and had basically become born again while still a Mormon missionary in Florida. I want to go back just a tad bit. Was there any particular scripture or event in the Bible that you read that made you realize, oh my goodness, Jesus really is who he says he is? And after yeah. Yeah, there were several. And I, and I think every, you know, again, 12 times reading the New Testament. So every time I, I, I read through the word of God, different things made an impact on me. Um, like Titus 3, it says that when the, when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior appeared, he saved us, not by works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. And so things like that, I would be like, well, that, that just seems so simple. It's, it's almost like Jesus did it all. <laughs> Um, I remember reading through John six and, and you have, you know, Jesus feeding the 5,000 and, and, and this, this beautiful symbolism of him providing. And then he goes across the sea of Galilee and the, the crowd follows him and, and he kind of rebukes them. And he's like, you're here because you want more sustenance, physical sustenance. And he's like, guess what? I have something so much greater than, than physical bread, you know? And then he relates to himself as the manna that came down from heaven that fed the Israelites. And then in John six thirty six he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And, and, and that verse made it a profound impact because even when I was in the, the apex of my religiosity, right? The best of the best of Mormons, I still felt unsatisfied. Like there was this gaping hole in my life, in my heart that like, it was like, no matter what I did, it was never enough. And, and, and then reading that verse, it's like, wait a minute. Like if, if I partake of what Jesus is offering me, then I will never be hungry and I will never be thirsty again. And then getting to Galatians and just, it's like Galatians could almost be written directly to the Mormons and this rebuke that, that they believed that somehow they could add to the finished work of Christ and that they could justify themselves by works, but it is no, it is by faith in Christ alone that we're justified. And then through the book of Hebrews, 
having an awakening through this amazing illustration where the writer of Hebrews takes us through all of these elements of the old law of the prophets and the priesthood and the temples and the high priests and what their role and what their purpose was. And then turning that and saying, Jesus is the fulfillment of all these things that we don't need temples anymore. We don't need blood sacrifices. We don't need an earthly high priest because all of those things are fulfilled in Christ alone. And so it was just this, this culmination of all of these things building up over the course of those two years, where it's like all those things finally came together and they made sense. And, and, and I could see that all of scripture from Genesis to Revelation all points to Christ, that he is the solution, the answer. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is everything. And all these other things in which I was placing my faith, they were unnecessary. Not only that, but they were actually, um, they were disqualifying me from the grace of God because I wasn't accepting fully what Jesus had done for me. And so, you know, by God's grace, he just everything kind of clicked finally by the end. And, and I recognized um, what the gospel really was and, and that it could save me. So you're convinced completely now during this time. And it's about three weeks before you're supposed to, I guess, finish up everything and you meet before your mission leaders. Tell us how that went about. Yeah. So um, it, there's a reason why I ended up meeting before my leaders. And it's because um, I ended up sharing a testimony in front of my missionary peers and my leaders about my newfound faith and testimony in Christ. Uh, and it was kind of this tradition that when you're about three weeks, when you have about three weeks left of this two-year commitment, you have this opportunity to stand up and share kind of this public witness, this testimony. And of course, it's it's understood that you're going to get up there and talk about how your faith in the Mormon church has been strengthened as a result of your mission experience when, of course... I had lost my faith in Mormonism, um, but I had built my faith in Jesus Christ alone. And so when I shared that testimony that Jesus was all that I needed, that he had saved me by his blood and that I was saved by his grace and not by my works. And I, I knew that I was forgiven and cleansed by the blood of Christ. Like that was a testimony that was kind of shocking um, to my Mormon missionary peers, to my leaders. And so that was actually kind of the catalyst that uh, that brought me before my leadership, because one of my Mormon leaders was present during that testimony. And so uh, after that, he called me and he said, we need to talk. And of course, he had not only seen in that testimony, but, but he'd been seeing the fruit of what God was doing in my life, you know, over the last six months or so. And he could tell that there was something different, like something was going on with me that was um, unique and and kind of drawing me away from the core tenets of, of, of Mormonism. And so he and I ended up having a face-to-face meeting where uh, I had the opportunity. And I'll, and I'll be honest, like, I mean, so I'm, I was 21 at the time or just turning 21. Here's my leader, who's a, a veteran man, probably in his 70s, who's, you know, to me for the last two years, he's like God to me. You know, he represents God. He's like my spiritual authority and, 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 and here I am sitting with him face to face, one on one, and having to tell him that I no longer adhere to my faith in that religious institution. And, and that was a terrifying thing to do. Um, and to tell him honestly, that because of what I had read in the word of God, and, and because of what I had learned through um, what God had opened my eyes to that I no longer believed that I needed the Mormon church or any earthly institution or man or prophet to stand between me and God, that my salvation was secure through the blood of Christ alone. And, um, and that was a, it, it was a scary thing to say, but it was so liberating to be able to witness of what God had done in my life. And also to know that whatever cost, um, I would incur because of that testimony was irrelevant to the the treasure that I had now found and, and attained in Jesus alone. So he didn't take it too well. <laughs> he called you a few names. What did he call you? Yeah. Well, you know, he, to his credit, he, he believed that I was being deceived by Satan, right? Because he, if, if he believed that the Mormon church was true and everything that it claimed was true, as I did just, you know, less than two years previous, then I would have seen myself as somebody who is being deceived by Satan into kind of believing a false gospel, which of course is the true gospel. And so he told me that, you know, I was filled with the spirit of the devil and that I was being deceived by Satan, that I was, you know, on the path to, you know, hell. And he even referred to me as an antichrist, as, as somebody who, 
you know, was not only deceived, but then trying to deceive others. I think making a reference to me using my influence to then teach the other missionaries what God was doing in my life. And so, um, you know, it was uh, kind of an extreme thing for him to say, but I also, if three years earlier, if I had met somebody like me after having come to salvation in the way that I did, I probably would have said the same thing in my own self-righteousness. And so, um, yeah, I, I, this was in 2006, uh, January of 2006, when he and I had that meeting and I have not spoken to this man since in 16 years, but I, I, I often think about him and pray for him and believe that he can, he can be saved, um, because nobody is beyond the reaches of God's grace. And so, um, I, I do pray for him and, and, and hope that one day he, he too can know the freedom that's found in Christ. Amen. Amen. That's the glory of God. Yeah. Now you are released three weeks early and you're sent back to Utah with your family. Mm -hmm. Now your parents, like I mentioned earlier, they were raised in Christian households, but they converted to Mormonism. Tell us about them. Yeah. So, so just as you said, so they were raised in kind of nominal Christian homes and then joined Mormonism when they were in their twenties. And so they had spent the last at that point, you know, 30 plus years of their lives, um, deeply entrenched into Mormonism. They were very active, very devout in their faith. My mother uh, at that time was actually a, a professor, a tenured professor at BYU, which is the, the Mormon college there in Provo, Utah. And my father was a high priest in the Mormon church. And so my parents were as, as active and faithful Mormons as you could find anywhere in the world. And so I it was it was scary for me as a 21 year old kid to be going back to my zealous Mormon parents um, now, basically kind of with the label as as an apostate, um, especially after having been their prized Mormon son for all those years and been the one that was always obedient and always good and lived out the faith and the one that they were so proud of. And here I was now shamefully, you know, being sent home from my mission um, because of of this newfound faith and testimony in Christ alone. And, and, and I just can't imagine how, how difficult that would have been for them. I think the only thing that I could compare it to as a father now of three sons um, is if one of my kids came to me and said that they were leaving the Christian faith and they were atheists and, and how would I respond to that and, and how would I deal with that? And so a very difficult situation for my, my parents to be put in. Okay, so you mentioned, and I like your empathy. I love that empathy, how you put yourself in your parents' shoes. And that's the love of God, you know, to see things sometimes from someone else's point of view. Now, so you mentioned how your mother was a tenure professor and your father was a high priest in the Mormon church. So you actually were able to convince them that Jesus is who he says he is. How did you do that? And wait, first, who did you convert first? Because I know you mentioned that you converted your whole family, but who did you convince first and how did you get to your parents? Yeah, so when I was undergoing this transformation process as a missionary, you have to understand that I didn't even understand what was happening as it was happening. But I knew that God was doing something in my heart and I knew that there was something in the Bible that I was drawn to. And so I began to kind of, share that with others. Um, the, the first person I really shared it with was actually my, my girlfriend that I had dated in high school. Um, we had fallen in love and, and dated. And then when I went on my mission, she was at BYU. And so I was saying, Alicia, like I'm reading the Bible, I'm reading the gospel of John and Ephesians. And like, this is incredible. Like, I, I don't even know what's happening here, but like, I'm, I'm just, God's doing something in my heart. And so she started to read the Bible too. And actually she simultaneously came to saving faith in Christ and was born again while I was still a Mormon missionary. And so she was really the first person in my life um, that, uh, that came to saving faith in Christ. Um, and uh, she, uh, she and I ended up getting married. In fact, today is our, our 16th anniversary. And so I, I, I praise God for, Hold on for, for wait, wait, happy anniversary. Thank you. Thank you. And so when, when, so I had gone through that process really through letters, through handwritten letters and emails. And so that wasn't even face to face. So then when I got kicked off my mission and sent home, I was like, okay, then it was my immediate family. They were the next ones. It was my, I have two older brothers, I have a younger sister and then my parents. And um, I, I, I couldn't convince them because I wasn't even that well versed. I just I, I knew the simple gospel and I knew what God had done and I knew the power of his word. And so what I did, 
And, and what my challenge to them was, was the exact same thing that that pastor told me, just go to the Bible, go to the word of God, go to the source, because I trusted that God's word had the power to change their lives as well. And so I, I kind of laid out the simple gospel, told them that Jesus is all that you need to be saved, that, that I, I knew that my salvation was, was secure, independent of any religious institution, that they could know that too, and, and just to go to the New Testament and to read. And so um, my older brother and my younger sister, uh, Matt and Katie, they were the first in my family to, to come to salvation. Um, and it was very independent of me. It, it was amazing how God worked. You know, Paul talks about like how, how he would plant and then Apollos would water, but God and God alone gives the growth. And, and that's kind of how it was in my life. Like I was that seed. Um, I, I planted that seed, but, but I didn't even give it water. Like I was really not even a part of my family's life for, for a long time because they needed that space and that separation. And I moved to Florida and, and I just let, I just trusted that God was going to work in their lives. And so uh, my brother and sister came to Saving Faith, which was awesome. And then my parents uh, were a little bit behind, but, but I tell you, they, they were so open to, to that challenge, like read the Bible. And I think for my mother and my father, they were very curious as to why I was willing to give up the only life that I had ever known and loved. And the thing about my story was that I wasn't abandoning Mormonism so that I could go off and be a heathenistic sinner, uh, which is the case with a lot of people that grow up in very strict religious, you know, uh, groups is like they use that freedom as a license to sin. But for me, it wasn't that case. I was still, even by a Mormon standard, I wasn't doing anything that I wouldn't have done as a Mormon. Um, but I was just putting all of my emphasis into Christ and in his word and no longer in, you know, the unique doctrines and aspects of Mormonism. And so I think for my parents, it was like, well, that's kind of weird. That's interesting. Like, why is he only focusing on Jesus? And, and my parents being amazing people by earthly standards, it's like they love Jesus or the Jesus that they were following in Mormonism. And they were, you know, loved the Bible. And so they thought, well, let's let's see what this is all about. And, um, and I appreciate the patience that they had. Um, I, I'm not going to sugarcoat it and say that things were great. I mean, we had a, there was a lot of tension in our familial relationships. There was, there was some strife there. Um, there were some, some harsh conversations. Sometimes, uh, you know, my zeal maybe was, was too great and, and not giving them more, you know, understanding and compassion at that time. Um, but I appreciate that they never ostracized me. They never cut me out of their lives. Um, and so they went to the Bible, I think just out of sheer curiosity and, and through the word of God individually, um, God reached into my parents' lives to my mother first, and then eventually my father, uh, for my mother, I think the tipping point for her was the gospel of John. Um, and even from John one, one in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And as we talked about before, it's like, wait a minute, that's a big contradiction to the nature of God and Jesus that she knew in Mormonism. Wait, Jesus is God. And, uh, and through the, the gospel of John, um, God really reached into her life and heart. My father, you know, who had just put so much of his time and so much of his money, I mean, literally tithing 10% of his income, you know, for his entire adult life and all these other things, um, you know, to, to be able to see that there was something wrong with, with Mormonism and to, you know, go to the word of God. And, and for him, I think the tipping point was uh, Luke 18, the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. Uh, where the Pharisee goes and he prays and he says, you know, basically, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other men, um, adulterers and tax collectors. I give tithes of all that I get. And, uh, I fast twice a week and all this stuff. And then it says that the tax collector wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, this is the man that went justified. And, and, and that was my father recognized, like, I am the Pharisee. And it's like, God just made this amazing awakening in his heart, convicted him through the Holy Spirit. Like you are that man who, who is, who is boastfully, you know, justifying yourself by the things that you're doing rather than being the one that beats his breast and simply says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And so God miraculously just, just changed their lives and hearts. And they both left the Mormon church. My mom gave up her position at BYU and they, they left Utah, left their community and moved to Florida in their mid fifties and literally like were born again and started all over. 
uh, and uh, and have been very faithful followers of Jesus Christ to this day. I know you mentioned you had seen some of my mother on YouTube, and she's written a book. Uh, she wrote a book about nine years ago called Unveiling Grace, and just has an amazing witness of of the power of of the Word of God and of the Gospel of Christ. And just all glory to God. Amen. I mean, that's amazing. I just love this story, and I feel like the glory of God is just all over what you're saying. It's just filled with humility and love and grace it's just there wow adam this is amazing so you converted your whole family your whole entire family your household and you were so zealous that you started a group or a a ministry called adam's road could you tell us about adam's road and how did you even come up with that name (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so Adams Road was formed in 2006. Uh, at the time, it was actually five of us, and all of us were former Mormons, uh, four of us former Mormon missionaries who had all uh, come to faith in Jesus Christ. And, and we had uh, a commonality amongst all of us, and that's that we were all musicians. And we wanted to use um, our passion for music as a vehicle to share the Word of God. And, and that's one thing that's kind of been the center point of our ministry for 16 years now is taking the word of God and putting it into music um, because th- there's power in the word of God. And each one of us experienced that uniquely and personally. And so it's like, if we can take scripture and put it into song, you know, rather than writing our own lyrics or, you know, writing fluff or whatever, which there's a lot of that out there um, and just taking the word of God and, and putting it to music. And our, our ministry has since, you know, of course, matured as we've grown in the knowledge and grace of Christ and our membership has changed. Um, but my older brother, Matt, uh, is one of the members of Adams Road. And then Joseph, uh, who's one of the other guys, he was actually a Mormon missionary with me in Orlando. He was my best friend and, uh, and God saved him as well brought him to the truth of the gospel. And so he ended up joining Adam's road. And then after that, uh, married my sister. And so it's just been this incredible thing. Um, and so we go out about four or five months, uh, every year on a tour bus throughout North America. We preach the gospel through song and through testimony. Um, and we, we witness to the word of God. We equip the church. We encourage the saints to, to go out and to, to be bold witnesses and to, to, you know, fulfill the great commission and to remember that that the gospel can save anybody. And, and, and our experience being on the other side of the fence was that so many Christians, number one, either treated us poorly or number two, never took the opportunity to share the truth with us. And that we don't want to we don't want to repeat those mistakes. And we want the Christian body to be aware that these are people who need love. They need truth. You know, you've been in areas with Jehovah's Witness. They come to your you know, door on a Saturday morning and most Christians response is, I don't want to talk to you. And it's like, wait a minute, somebody's coming to you who doesn't know God, who wants to talk about God. And, and you're, you know, rejecting the opportunity to share the gospel with a lost person. And, and that should not be our heart. We should have a heart of love and compassion for the lost. And so uh, that's our heart as a ministry. And the other thing that God laid on our heart is we wanted to just give everything away for free. So as we travel, as we preach, as we sing, uh, we don't charge, we don't, um, uh, require any fees and also all of our music which can be found on our website at adamsroadministry.com it's all free and we have 10 full-length studio albums chock full the word of god we even do um uh we also do um the spoken word and so we have the gospel of john we have the book of hebrews and the book of romans that we narrate and then write original scoring uh, underneath you can get that you can download that for free and just our heart is that the gospel goes forth um, at, uh, at no cost. Adam, that's amazing. So you said that you've been traveling a lot lately. Where's your next destination with Adams Road? Uh, let's see this last weekend we were in Tennessee and I think, uh, we have a big summer tour coming up where we'll go full-time out on the road. And I believe our first show, uh, first event there is in Michigan and then we'll be all over. You can check our calendar at adamsroadministry.com. Uh, we generally travel all over the nation every year, uh, from, northeast all the way up to vermont to to southern california to washington and everywhere in between and so uh definitely check out our calendar and and hopefully we can uh, you know see some of you in person adam could you do me a big favor could you please pray for those who may be watching this right now who are a mormon or who are mormons or who are jehovah's witness who are islam who's are or who's islamic who are buddhist who are of no faith at all could you pray for them who are on the brink and are thinking, you know what, I'm actually thinking about this Jesus, what 
Adam is saying right now is making me think, is making me want to go into the word. Could you pray right now that God will open their eyes and even soften their heart uh, to come to the realization of the love, the glory, and the grace of Jesus? Yeah. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you. and We give you all the praise for your love for, for us, for sending Jesus to die for our sins. And I know that I, I don't know who's watching this video. I don't know who's going to watch this video in the future. Um, but there may be many people um, who, who don't know Jesus, who, who may be of the same religious background as me, or, or no religious background, or, or who are um, questioning or, or uncertain about their faith or their right standing with you, Father. And, and I just, I pray for these people. I pray for those who, who are being drawn to, to you, who are being drawn to the gospel, who are being drawn to the word of God, that they will have the boldness and the courage to, to pick up the, the, the scriptures, to go to the New Testament, to read your word, and, and to see the, the depth of your love and your mercy and your forgiveness that is revealed in Jesus Christ, that they will have um, the boldness to, to maybe question uh, some of the things that they've been taught their entire lives and, and some of these man-made religions and, and institutions, but they, they will go to your word and trust your word and, and, and see that Jesus is the answer, that he is the solution, that his blood is sufficient to cover their sins. And, uh, and, and God, we know that you are a loving God, you're a merciful God, that, that you have uh, reached into my life and, and powerfully changed my heart. And I know that you can make that change in the lives of others as well, Father. And we love you. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Adam, thank you so much for sharing the true full gospel of Jesus Christ with us. Thank you for having me.